if you find yourself coming off of the Easter holiday and adjusting back to normal where there aren't Easter egg hunts at church or at school or in your community every other day and Easter candy that's just sitting out in baskets all the time, I know some of you may be wondering where should you be keeping the Easter candy? And if you haven't listened to my episodes that I did back in October around the Halloween season, I encourage you to go listen to those. They're episodes like 68, 69, and 70, right in that range. There's a lot of different episodes I shared there to prepare families in advance of the holiday, walk them through some of the nuances of the holiday, and then to give them practical tips and tricks of how to handle all the candy after a holiday like Halloween. And the same really applies here with Easter. Because if you did find yourself, whether you actually filled your kids' Easter eggs and Easter baskets with candy or not, chances are there's been an added influx of candy in your home lately. And you probably find yourself this week wondering how do you taper back to a more normal amount of exposure to candy with your kids. So today we are going to talk about where you can keep your Easter candy, how to promote neutrality with the foods that you're offering, things like candy and every other food group that you're including throughout the day, and how to set healthy boundaries so that your child can develop a healthy relationship with food, including things like candy. Hey mama, I'm Ashley, and welcome to the Veggies and Virtue podcast. In this podcast, you will find simple menu ideas, kitchen organizational systems spelled out for mom life, and feeding tips and tricks that are both evidence-based and grace-laced. I believe that you can find flexibility when it comes to feeding your family so that you can feel calm, capable, and connected in the kitchen. As a registered dietitian and Christian mom of three myself, I want you to break free from the mealtime battles and to feel equipped while feeding your kids all day long. Pull up a stool at my kitchen counter and let me pour you a cup of coffee and say a quick prayer for you. It's time to chat about the mealtimes, messes, moments, and ministry of motherhood. Now, full disclosure, if you're not familiar with how I tend to handle holidays within my own home and with my own kids, we usually allow them to pretty much eat to their heart's content on the day of the holiday. So on Easter, I'm sure that they had a jelly bean before we probably even had breakfast I know that each of my kids ate a fair share. I don't, again, I didn't keep tabs and I think it's healthy that I wasn't keeping tabs, but they were eating out of the Easter eggs and the Easter baskets and eating definitely more added sugar than they would on an average day. Candy is not something that we have every day, and but it's something that we have available and around so that it does have a presence in our home and that our kids do understand that it can fit into our family's overall healthy lifestyle. And so today I really want to walk you through how we shift from having that kind of day on Easter Sunday where my kids were eating more candy to middle of the week post Easter and where we're putting the candy so it doesn't feel like this forbidden fruit. It does still feel like, you know, it's available and they have access to it, but it's in proportion to all the other foods that we eat and enjoy on a daily basis. So there's three main things that I want to highlight today as things to consider as you move out of really any holiday stretch. This might even be, you know, just anything that feels abnormal, but especially something like Easter where we have this influx of often Easter candy in the home. I would say that as you begin to put away the holiday, and that might be figuratively if you decorate for Easter or if you have other things out, or it might just be the basics of it's time to put away Easter baskets and some of those things that aren't commonplace in your home 
This is when we begin to set a spot for where we keep the candy. Because often as parents, our instinct is to put it on the top shelf of the pantry or to put it, you know, in a concealed cupboard where no one can reach it, ourselves included, and it feels very inaccessible. However, if you feel provoked to do that, I would ask you and invite you to reflect a little on that. Is this a, you don't trust your kids around candy? Does this come from a lack of trust or a feeling of shame and guilt for yourself with how you consume candy or the lack of control maybe you feel towards eating candy? Or what is the motivation behind that? Because I do think that it can be wise to keep it out of sight and not right in the middle of the kitchen counter. And, you know, there's research to sh- to support that. But I think to still give it a place in the home that feels neutral to the other foods that we offer. And I'll be talking about neutrality a little bit in point two. But right now, when you think about where you're going to put away the Easter candy in this scenario, I would encourage you to be thinking about where you're already putting other snack options. So it might be in a snack basket that you have in the pantry. It might be a snack drawer that you have in the fridge. Sometimes we'll have a little spot right next to the grapes and the cheese sticks and the yogurt that will have candy in the fridge if the kids like a certain type of candy colt. Or we might have some candy down more at the kids level where the snack baskets are. Now, this does not mean it's a free-for-all that they get to have that candy anytime that they choose, just the way that I don't let them have the crackers, the cheese stick, the yogurt, or the granola bars anytime they choose. There's still boundaries that we're setting around the routine and the structure that we have with things like meals and snacks, and that includes the inclusion of things like candy. However, we can sometimes inadvertently be sending a message to our kids simply by where we keep the candy. So if you have the habit of putting it in a really difficult to reach spot or somewhere that doesn't necessarily help it be any more out of mind, but it adds this added factor that your child may covet it so much that they would climb to the top shelf of a pantry or something for that, I would encourage you to be reconsidering the motivation behind that approach. And if there may be a more productive way to be promoting a feeding environment where all foods can fit. So step one really boils down to putting it away, but when you do so, make sure that you're putting it in a place that reinforces candy is one of the options that we have. It is on a level playing field with other options that we have available, and it will be included periodically just as we rotate through other options. Because the more forbidden that we make it feel and the more restrictive we are in the places we put it and the behaviors that surround things like candy or sweets and treats, the more our kids are going to have a disproportionate interest in some of these foods that are restricted. So instead of creating physical boundaries like an unreachable location or something where it's so out of access. And of course, if it's a safety hazard, if there's some other reason that you need to keep something separate, you're the adult, you know how to discern that. But if this is one where you're simply putting physical limitations in place because a lack of trust in your own relationship with food and that given food or a lack of trust with your child 
and their relationship to that food, I would encourage you to hone in on that and to be focusing more on how to improve the relationship that you or your child have with said food, like Easter candy, than I would be preoccupied or obsessing over where it is and is it put far enough out of reach and is it made unavailable enough that it gives you a false sense of trust and a false sense of control over a matter that really is a bigger issue. The second thing I want you to think about in terms of not only where to keep the Easter candy, but once you've put it in a location that you feel is appropriate and then it's put in a spot that is alongside other options that are made available and you are working to practice the boundary setting required for when is candy allowed. Just because it's in a spot right next to the crackers doesn't mean that they can go for the candy any and all hours of the day. Just like any food that's in the pantry, the fridge, or the freezer, there's boundaries. The kitchen, as you hear me say often, the kitchen does close. There are windows when no food is really being offered, let alone candy. And so we want to be reinforcing these boundaries and being clear about what the structure and routine for our family is. And in doing so, one of the things that is really key is to be is to be clear about setting boundaries. If it is not a meal or snack or time for a meal or snack, it is okay to say the kitchen is closed right now. We will be eating again in however long that might be, depending on the age and developmental stage of your child, they may or may not have a notion of time. So in a lot of different resources I've provided and within Mealtimes Made Easy Method, I share with families how to help our kids understand structure and routine. I've shared several different podcast episodes on it as well. And so there's different ways that we can reinforce to them, the kitchen is closed. We're not eating right now. You will have another opportunity to eat after nap time, once we go to the park, in an hour, however you want to communicate that with the developmental stage that's most appropriate for your child, you can set those boundaries. And so it doesn't matter where the food is placed and if the candy is hidden because the boundaries are clear. And so that takes a lot more practice and a lot more discipline and a lot more consistency on us as the parents than that false sense of security that we get from hiding all the Easter candy so they can't get it. Because that feels easier. It feels easier to make that feel out of reach than it is to reinforce to kids boundaries that they may or may not like, they may or may not be familiar with, and they may or may not cooperate with, especially initially if boundary setting around meals and snacks or grazing and free-for-all access to different foods is something that's been a struggle for your family and is not something that's familiar to the way that your child has gone about learning to eat. So with this, the second thing I would really encourage you to do is to be working on feeding boundaries. This is setting limits with love. Something we as parents, whether we like it or not, have to do in all areas. We have to do it with sleep. We have to do it with seatbelt safety. We have to do it with waking kids who don't want to go to school that day because they still want to just stay in bed or stay home and play. We have to do it when our kids protest putting a helmet on when they go to ride their bike. There are so many areas of parenting that we have to set limits with love. And too often, parents avoid a potential conflict in the feeding relationship and they think if they set less limits or set fewer limits, 
they are showing more love. However, I can promise you from the research, from all the literature out there, and from all of my education and expertise, this is not the case. This is going to create more challenges and more struggles for you in your role as a parent. It's going to create more challenges and struggles for your child and their role as a kid. And it's going to create a lot of challenges and struggles between the two of you in forming and fostering a healthy relationship with food amongst your family. And so using opportunities like right now, following a holiday season like after Easter, to use this opportunity to practice some of this boundary setting and to practice some of this trust and control in the feeding relationship that our children can trust us, we can trust them. We trust our child to control if, whether, and how much they eat. They can trust us to control when meals and snacks are offered and making sure that regular, pleasant eating opportunities are something that they can depend on. And so there's an ebb and a flow in the relationship that doesn't create power struggles, but instead gives reassurance. And as with all areas of parenting, boundaries create a sense of security for our children that give them the opportunity to really learn and grow and thrive within, which is very much the case with food, including foods like candy. The third and final consideration that I want you to think about as you consider where to keep the Easter candy, when to be offering the Easter candy, and how to go about doing this is to think about the neutrality. The neutrality and how you're offering Easter candy the way you would any other food. And again, do our kids need From a nutritional sense, do they need exposure and the availability to have candy regularly? No, nutritionally, that's not the food that I'm necessarily going to be promoting as the primary source of nutrition for your kids. However, the concern becomes is depending on your child's personality and feeding temperament, their need to have regular ongoing exposure to other foods and foods that are preferred foods, foods that they enjoy, foods that they favor, and foods that in our world in amidst diet culture are often considered bad or forbidden, they do need exposure to those within the safety and security of your family and your home feeding environment so that they learn how to trust themselves around such food. So as I mentioned with where you're keeping the Easter candy that's left, If you are keeping it in a snack basket in the pantry or a snack drawer in the fridge or wherever you are keeping it, these boundaries that we talked about in point two are helping you to promote this neutrality just as the location of where you're keeping such foods is also helping reinforce all these foods are in a level playing field. If they're on different shelves and one is specifically and intentionally out of reach, You should be confronting that ideology of why something needs to be out of reach versus another. Again, if it's a safety hazard or if it's simply that you don't eat it so infrequently that of course, just as with any organization, if there's things that we eat and have need to have more access to, they're more at eye level and readily available. If they're the once a year when making Easter meals, well then yes, of course, put them away. But when it comes to things like Easter candy and promoting neutrality with it, when we are promoting neutrality with where we store it and it's right alongside the kids crackers and the applesauce pouches and the dried mango that's right there on one shelf in the pantry, it is sending a message to our kids that this is not forbidden. 
that this is not something so highly coveted that you need to climb shelves to go on a conquest to get. It's not something that you need to, when you have it in your hand and you've actually got it, that you need to go run and hide with a sense of secrecy or shame about it. Because our kids wouldn't do that about the applesauce pouch or the dried mangoes. But too often and far too young, I see kids struggling with that internal wrestling of why do I feel this guilt and shame? And oftentimes the kids can't even articulate that's what it is, but their behaviors show us that secrecy and that hiding or that sneaking of things like candy because they don't feel that it's permissible in their home. They don't feel that they have access to it. And there's not that spoken and unspoken sense of neutrality. So you can promote this with where you're keeping it. You can also promote it with when you're making it available and those boundaries that you're offering. But I think having the visual cue of where it's available and the verbal cue of when it will be made available, whether it be at meals and snacks, with dinner or as a dessert, however your family chooses to set those boundaries, is going to help reinforce neutrality to your kids just the way that you would boundary set with any other food that that candy is sitting alongside in the pantry or in the fridge. Now, if this is something that you're really unfamiliar with, uncomfortable with, or just know that you need some assistance and accountability with, please go to veggiesandvirtue.com forward slash work with me. And there's the option for you to get on my calendar for one of the upcoming weeks. I've just added new spots to my calendar So that together you and I can take 30 minutes to review what's going on in your home. What is your family's feeding environment like? What struggles or concerns or insecurities or sources of shame and guilt and frustration are you facing on a day-to-day basis? Maybe it's something that is exacerbated by Easter and all the candy that's around. Maybe it's something that you uncover in the process of putting the Easter candy away when you are not trusting yourself around Easter candy and you're wondering How do I help shape a healthy relationship with food for my kid when I don't even feel that I have that myself? It might be that your kid only wants to eat candy and it feels impossible to set those boundaries and you're really uncomfortable and inconsistent in doing so and you need some hand-holding to support you. I would love and be honored to be that person for you and with you, but I can't help you in that capacity if I don't know that you need the help. So I'm offering free 30-minute discovery calls. This gives us a chance to just meet, dialogue about what's going on, and then also discuss what is an appropriate game plan based on what your family is facing. What do I anticipate in terms of how I can help you? What can you anticipate in in terms of the help and the services that I offer? And how do we go about setting up these next steps for your family? It may be working on step one and just getting your family's feeding environment in a place where you feel like you have some sense of order and organization to where things are at in your pantry, in your fridge, in your freezer, so that you can move forward towards steps like boundary setting with when meals and snacks are offered and when the kitchen is even opened. It might be uncovering areas of your own relationship with food or your spouse's relationship with food or siblings' relationships with food and how it's impacting a given child's relationship with food in your family's overall feeding environment where there is no neutrality and there is a rich 
undertone of diet culture being spoken and unspoken in your home, and it's impacting the way your family eats and experiences food freedom or a lack thereof. So I want to invite you, first and foremost from today's episode, consider where you're putting away the Easter candy. Second, consider when you are putting boundaries around things like candy and when with meals and snacks, you're making them available so that your child does have regular and routine exposure to all foods, including those like candy. And third, I want you to be working on how you can be promoting neutrality in your home and with the foods that are being offered. And in whichever area that I mentioned in today's episode or any other one that you are facing and confronting as just a real challenge, a pain point, or a stressor in your life on a regular basis, please reach out to me at veggiesandvirtue.com forward slash work with me and sign up for a free call with me so that we can help your family move forward faster and with more food freedom.